of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone a little too far, amen, so back up towards the Gospels from Hebrews, but tucked right in there against Titus and Philemon, you'll find 1 and 2 Timothy, so 2 Timothy chapter 1, amen. Praise God. Just a brief background. Um, Timothy was a young pastor, pastor in one of the largest churches, if not the largest church in the world, maybe one of the largest churches that has ever existed. Um, and um, in 1 Timothy, uh, the church is growing by leaps and bounds. And this is Paul's letter to, uh, to Timothy, his son in the faith. And then by the time 2 Timothy rolls around, people are leaving the church in leaps and bounds. And Paul's been arrested and people are being executed for their faith. And um, so when Paul is telling him that God hasn't given him a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, um, you know, he's not that that verse doesn't apply to a, a bad dream or something like that, but there, there was some very real threats and some very real things that the enemy was trying to use to bring terror to the church. And, um, and so if you understand what's going on historically, when you read these two books, you'll, you'll perhaps have a better, uh, you know, backdrop or be better oriented to, to those. Um, and of course, Paul was, I mean, no disrespect when I use this terminology, he was like a rock star. Paul had become, you know, such a pillar of the, of the church and, and such a, uh, even a famous figure. Um, but then when he was arrested and beaten and imprisoned and all this other stuff, a lot of folks who were very loyal to Paul um, were not anymore. And, um, but of course, Timothy was among those who <clears throat> remained faithful. So let's begin in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, <clears throat> who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So let me put verse 12 up on the screen for you tonight. When he says for this reason, he's talking about what he's been doing the, the, the ministry that he had committed himself to and, and specifically that part about uh, an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Uh, the Gentiles, of course, were non-Jewish people and um, Paul had been sent to them as an apostle. Uh, we'll look at it at a later date, but in the book of Acts, the Bible says that um, the, the gospel was preached first to the Jews, but because they rejected it, they disqualified themselves because they chose not to receive the word. Uh, 
Um, they, uh, they remained outsiders uh, in a situation where God fully intended for them to be on the inside. And because they rejected the gospel, we see that the gospel was then preached to the Gentile nations. One of the things that was emphasized at the minister's conference this past week is that in the scriptures we see that, that we as born-again Gentiles are intended by God to make the non-believing Jew hungry for Jesus. That when they see our lives and they see how fulfilled we are, and when they see how much joy and, and, and peace and, and blessing that we live our lives with, that they become hungry for this Messiah that their forefathers rejected. And all of this is a part of our Father's plan. So Paul said that he was not ashamed of what he was enduring or what he was going through, although the Bible makes it clear that there were a lot of people who had become ashamed of him and turned away from him because of it. And Paul says that he's not ashamed because he knows some things. And he said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Let's talk, before I go to that last phrase, let's talk about this. I know whom I have believed. Paul didn't just know about Jesus. He, he didn't just know some of the prophetic scriptures from the Old Testament that spoke of Jesus. But what he's talking about here is a personal knowledge. He's talking about knowing him and fellowshipping with him and, and being close with him. Not, not this idea of, of you know, knowing from a distance, but knowing him up close and personal. And it was that knowledge of Jesus, that personal fellowship with him, that persuaded Paul that no matter what he dealt with or faced in life, that Jesus was able to keep what Paul had committed to him until that day, that day being the day that the Lord returns. Now, we've been talking for several sermons now in and around this idea of giving God the place He deserves in our lives. Giving God the place He deserves in our lives. And this particular study is not like other topics that we would study. Let's say we were going to study righteousness. Well, you can find the word righteous, righteousness um, in just about every book in the Bible. And, and we could, you know, turn to all those verses and, and look at those scriptures. And we've done that in the past, and I'm sure we'll do it again in the future. We do a lot of that in discipleship class. But it's hard to find in the scriptures this phrase, giving God the place he deserves in your life. And if you Google that, you don't really um, get like a whole list of verses to turn to where it specifically says that. But don't, don't be deceived. Don't be confused. The Bible has plenty to say 
about giving God the place that he deserves. For instance, any verse that you read in the scripture that talks about giving God the honor that he deserves, this word honor, it's a word of, of giving God place. It's, it's, we talked about this a little bit this morning, but it's honor, the honor that you give to something is, is based upon your uh, opinion of that thing, of that person. For instance, when the Bible tells us to honor our mother and our father, he's talking about for us to place a very high value, to place very high esteem upon our mother and our father. So when, we, when we're talking about giving God the honor that he deserves, we're talking about personally um, ascribing to him, personally recognizing him, um, and, and that playing out in the way we live our lives, um, a very high value, a very high estimation or esteem. When the Bible talks about worship, and I think we may get into that just a little bit tonight, but again, worship is more than just singing songs or clapping your hands or raising your hands. Um, all of those are expressions of worship, but true worship involves um, you truly recognizing who God is and then understanding who you are in relationship to Him. The word means to kiss. And in their culture, people would greet one another with a kiss. And depending on where the kiss was delivered, um, it, was, it was making a statement. So if, if someone kissed on the lips, they were saying that I'm equal to you. If they kissed on... You know, we see it sometimes in Italian cultures or whatever where they would, you know, kiss on the cheek. Well, that's saying I recognize that you're over me, that, that you have a place of authority um, and, and command over me. Um, all the way down to kissing on the hand or the ring or kissing on the foot. So when he, when he says to kiss, uh, to worship, um, it's more than just, you know, blowing kisses to God. It's, it's talking about a recognition on our part, an estimation of not just who he is and his worth and value, but our, our worth and value in relationship to him, our position in relationship to his. Now, this word commit, you have to look a little closer to see giving God the place that he deserves in this word commit, but I'm telling you tonight that it's there. The word means entrust. And we see that in John 2, there were some people who were impressed by things they saw Jesus do, but the Bible says Jesus would not commit himself to them. He would not entrust himself to them because their commitment to him, the place that they were giving him in their hearts, um, was not worthy of him entrusting himself to them. In other words, as much as he wanted to entrust to them those precious things, um, he could not um, because, again, of what was in their hearts. Now, I've really, you know, spent some time even trying to come up with a better explanation for this word entrust, but I'm going to stay with just this really simple one. And I want you to imagine for a moment that, um, you know, there's a little boy on the playground and all his buddies are on the swings and going up and down the slides and just romping around having a good time. And, um, and he has an object in his hand that, that is, is very precious to him, it's very valuable to him, um, 
and he's, he's obviously trying to protect it, but he knows that, you know, let's, let's say it's a model car, okay? And he knows that there's no way for him to enjoy the swings or go down the slide without risking potentially damaging this precious possession. So his options are to, to not participate or to commit that model car to someone he can trust. And more than likely, that's going to be what? His mama, right? In other words, he's going to take that car and he's going to ask her to keep it for him. He's going to commit it to her to protect and care for on his behalf so that he can then go and participate in the uh, rough housing or what have you on the playground. Do you, do you have that mental image? Can you relate to that? If not something maybe personal in your own life, at least in theory, the, the concept or the idea. So this is what it means here to, to commit that which I've committed to him against that day or until that day. But what we're talking about now is not just some object or some, um, you know, keepsake, if you will, that, that Paul uh, was depositing. As a matter of fact, um, this word committed in, in 2 Timothy 1.12 could also mean to deposit, to deposit. So, you know, that's what we do when we carry our money to the bank. We deposit it in the bank for them to what? Keep it safe for us, to keep it safe for us. Um, you know, your bank can't keep money safe for you that you do not commit to them. Are you following me? Okay. In other words, if, if, if you've put money in the bank and, and it's happened to me a time or two, there's, um, it wasn't long ago that I, I made a deposit and, um, and I'm not trying to make you nervous about banks, but, um, you know, I do the banking on my phone or whatever. And, uh, I just noticed that my balance didn't reflect the deposit. And I thought, well, it's just probably, you know, taken overnight or, or something like that. And the next day I looked again and, and, um, I told Pam, I said, baby, I don't, I don't think something's up with this. Right. So I obviously I called the bank guy was really nice. And, um, uh, they put my deposit in somebody's account in Tennessee. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, um, of course, you know, they fixed it and apologized and, their number was like one different number from my account number. Um, but if I'd call the bank and said, hey, um, I had uh, $800 under my pillow and, and, and it's gone, uh, I need you to make that right for me. Well, they just laugh at me, right? It's, they, they can't keep watch over money that I don't commit or deposit in, in that account. But once I do that, then even if there's some mistake, if that bank's robbed, are you following what I'm saying? They're, they're going to ensure um, that, that my money is taken care of. So this word committed, Paul didn't just commit money to the Lord. He didn't just commit things of, of value to him personally to the Lord. But what we're talking about now is he committed his life. Now, we've referenced back 
to Matthew 10 a few times. Let's do it one more time tonight. Jesus said that if, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you will lose your life for His sake, then you'll find it. And this is what He's talking about here. If, if you try to keep your own life you know, under the mattress, you know what I mean by that. If you try to keep it yourself, if you try to protect it yourself, then you're sure to lose it. But if you will commit it to Him, if, if you will deposit yourself in His trust, matter of fact, um, banks are often referred to as trusts, right? Um, what BT and B, anybody remember that? Birmingham National, BN, Birmingham Trust National Bank, right? Um, the, the word trust is, is even a, associated there. So he's saying that if you will entrust your life and your future to him, then he can keep it and protect it. Um, but he can't keep what you don't commit to him. That's the simple point that we're, we're trying to make. Now, if you look close, you'll see in this example where the giving place comes in. Because let's go back to the little boy on the playground. He's not going to give something that's very precious and maybe fragile to someone that he considers to be less responsible than himself. He's not going to, to, to commit something that is very meaningful to him to someone that he doesn't think that he doesn't consider or think to be above him with a greater ability than he has to protect that in other words you don't you don't commit it to the lesser you commit it to the greater you don't commit to the lower you commit to the higher okay and 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 the way i can maybe illustrate that for you is have you ever trusted somebody with something that you weren't sure you could trust them with you know maybe you let them borrow your car and you're like oh my goodness what have I done you know you're not sure they can handle it you're not you know it's like man they're going to bring it back in one piece you know that sort of thing I let a guy borrow my car one time and he rode up in church in it and the whole door the driver's side door was caved in I thought man what happened you know and I thought somebody backed into him where that big old dent was. I didn't see how in the world it could have got on the car. And he goes, oh, man, he says, your, your lock wouldn't work. He said, I, I, I got mad. And he reached outside the car and beat the side of my car in. Well, amen, shame on me. I should have been smarter than to let him borrow it, right? Couldn't, I shouldn't have committed it to him. I committed it to someone who wasn't worthy. Are you seeing this? With somebody that... That, that, that wasn't responsible, okay? But, um, you know, my dad wanted to borrow my car. You, you understand? You say, I, I, he'd take better care of it than me. Are you, are you seeing? So the idea behind committing, we don't, only, if, only someone who's acting foolishly is going to commit something very precious to someone that they do not deem, esteem, value as being trustworthy. So by, by virtue of the fact that we're committing it to him, we're saying, you're greater than me. You're higher than me. You, you, you have more ability and authority uh, than me. So therefore, 
um, you are worthy for me to commit this to. I can, I can entrust you with this. And the this, in Paul's case, is his very life. Entrusted his very life to him. So notice now, Paul is, is you know, there are a few places in Scripture where the Holy Spirit inspired him to communicate just how bad it really was. Um, Paul went through some stuff, man. I mean, he went through some desperate, um, sometimes when I'm out in the, uh, in the ocean, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm kind of a tall guy if you hadn't figured that out, but I, I'll go out like pretty deep in the ocean with my back to the shore and, um, and just look at, you know, a view where all I can see is ocean. And I think about Paul shipwrecked out there. You know, I mean, the places that he ended up and the, and the, the trouble that he found himself in. And yet we know that he was, how do I say this? That he's not just saying pretty words here. Um, because he had truly committed, he had truly entrusted himself to the Lord. He had given the Lord that place in his life where, you know, sometimes, I don't know if this is the best thing to say or do, but sometimes you hear people confessing their, their love for one another. You say, man, I would trust him with my very life, you know. And um, obviously we're trying to communicate by a statement like that, that, um, you know, this person is trustworthy. I would trust him with my life. You know, well, I, we don't need to be trusting other people with our lives. Amen. But, but Father is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. And so we know that this was a reality in Paul's life because in spite of all the things that he experienced and went through, he faced it all with joy. He faced it all with faith. He, he came through it all in a, you know, we, as we would say, with flying color, so to speak. And... Um, and in the midst of, you know, think about where he is right now. And yet he's writing a letter to instruct and most importantly to encourage Timothy. I mean, Timothy needs to be encouraging Paul here. I'm not saying that he didn't. But this is Paul's mindset, his frame of mind. Amen. All right. Let's, um, let's go to Psalm 37.5 Psalm 37.5 Psalm 37.5 I'll put it up on the screen it says commit your way to the Lord trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass commit your way to the Lord trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass one more time, because I, I want these words to, to really be turning over in your heart and mind for the rest of the afternoon, rest of the evening, rather, and, and on into the, into the week ahead. One more time, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. <clears throat> Let's start with the, the last phrase of this verse. And, and work backwards. Do you have anything in your life tonight that 
you're needing to come to pass. In other words, something that you're needing to be worked out, um, some situation that, that you need to see resolved, maybe some uh, debt that, that you need or bill that you need uh, to be paid or some situation in your family where you need breakthrough or maybe something <clears throat> in your physical health or, or what have you. Um, so when you see connected with instructions, the phrase, and he shall bring it to pass, he's clearly talking about things that we need to do to align ourselves with Father so that Father God can work in our lives the way he desires to work in our lives. If what you're longing if what you're desiring to come to pass in your life is something good, you know, and I, I, maybe I don't even need to say that disclaimer with a Sunday night crowd, but you understand what I mean. I mean, if you, you know, I mean, if, if, if you're wanting to see the, you know, the guy that plays his music too loud, you know, get hurt in a car wreck or something, that, then that's no, that's just ridiculous. Grow up, right? But I'm talking about something good and, 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 and that would be of, a, of benefit and blessing and, and in alignment with, with God and His will for your life. Then listen to me, please. He wants it to come to pass more than you do. He wants it to work out more than you do. Amen. So He's saying to us these instructions, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He'll bring it to pass. Now, the opposite of this would be doing it your own way, trusting in your own ability, and you trying to bring it to pass. Aaron said it don't work. It doesn't work, does it? Okay. But again, instead of committing your way to the Lord's way of doing it, you just keep on doing it your way. You just keep on trusting in luck or the, you know, fate or, um, you know, at some point the universe finally turning in your favor. You just hear these crazy statements people make. And, um, and you keep on trying to bring it to pass. You keep on trying to make it happen. Okay. Those are really our options. And uh, I'll go ahead and save you some, some heartache and just tell you, commit your way to the Lord. So let's go back to that little boy. He's got that he just built that model car, you know, he's glued it together, that funny smelling glue and all that stuff, right? He's, he's not wanting it to get broken. He's not wanting it to get dirty, but he wanted to bring it. Why did he even bring it to the playground? He wanted to show it to his buddies, right? Now, what is he going? He don't want to set it down because some kid might come get it, right? So he needs somebody to entrust it to. He needs somebody to commit it to, okay? So now he's saying, commit your way. Commit your way to the Lord. Entrust him with your with, with the way that you're going to do these things, trust in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. All right, let's go to another one. Proverbs 16, 3. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 3. I really like this verse right here. Um, I thought we'd be here 30 minutes ago, but that's all right. You get anything out of this tonight? Okay. All right, Proverbs 16 and 3. I want you to really get a hold of this one too, okay? Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. 
Commit your works to the Lord. And your thoughts will be established. Let me give it to you in the God's Word translation. God's Word translation says, Entrust your efforts to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Entrust your efforts to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Let me give you one one more translation, this time from the Amplified. Roll your works upon the Lord. Commit and trust them wholly to Him. He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. I like that. It's a lot of words, but it's, it really grasps what this passage is saying. That word commit um, could be translated role, R-O-L-E, R-O-L-L rather, role, your um, works upon the Lord. I don't know if we have time to get there, but let me just draw your attention to um, 1 Peter chapter 5 where he says, what, cast your care upon the Lord. So that's the New Testament version of this Old Testament um, instruction. Roll your works upon the Lord, commit and trust them wholly to Him, and He will cause your thoughts to become agreeable to His will, and so shall your plans be established and succeed. Okay, so a few comments. I'll put the New King James Version back up on the screen. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. We, we talk about this a good bit in discipleship class. But there are certain aspects of your creation. There, there, are, there are certain abilities, characteristics that you possess by virtue of you being created in the image and likeness of God that, that we see from Scripture are an underlying cause. In other words, let me, just, let me give you an example. Proverbs 4 says, Guard your heart, for from your heart spring forth the issues of life. From your heart spring forth the issues of life. So we even, and that's New King James there, okay? That, but yet in our day and age, we, we talk about someone who had, man, he's got an issue. Man, that sister's got issues, right? Okay. And so what we mean by the issue is some kind of problem, some kind of issue in their life. But notice the scriptures telling us that what we're seeing outwardly is coming from a place inwardly. It's something that's invisible or seemingly unrelated that's actually causing the issue. So think about it now. If the issue is springing forth from the heart, if it's coming, for, if it's coming forth from inside of a person outward, 
Will we ever fix the issue if we don't fix the inward cause? It's the concept of root, inward root versus outward fruit. Now the outward fruit we're, we're very aware of. We, we, we're very aware of it and people who are close to us are very aware of the issues that we may have or what have you. But it's the, the inward root is the part that we don't often understand or, or connect one with the other. All right? Now, the reason I took a minute to say that is because this is another one of those connections here that, you know, they don't seem to be related, but we know they are because God's Word says they are. And the instructions are, commit your works to the Lord, thoughts will be established. Now, if I was writing this verse, if I was teaching this verse, I would flip these. I would say, commit your thoughts to the Lord and your works will be established. And I believe, not that I'm here to do it tonight, I believe I could make a biblical case where, where that's also true. But that's not what he's saying here. And thank God that we have this passage because it's, it's making a practical application available to us that will benefit us in one of the most needed areas of our lives. And, and one of the most needed areas of our lives. In other words, where we need, if I could, I'm assuming that I'm speaking to born-again people tonight, meaning you've already received Jesus, you're already a born-again person. If that's the case, then the greatest area of need in our lives is in the area of our thinking. If you're not born again, the greatest area of need in your life is for salvation. But once you're born again, our greatest need then is for our minds to be renewed, our minds to be reconditioned, for our thoughts to come into alignment and agreement with what's already taken place at the spirit level of our existence through the new birth. Amen. So he's talking here about our thoughts becoming established. Let me, let, me say that, let me say it another way. For our thinking to rest on solid ground, for, for, there, to, for there to be substance um, to, to our, our thoughts, but also the, our process of thinking, our thought process, amen, and all of this goes back to committing your works to the Lord. Now, I'm about out of time. Amen. Romans tells us, Romans chapter 1 tells us that when we stopped giving God the place He deserved in our lives, Refusing to worship Him, refusing to be thankful, refusing to acknowledge Him and who He is and the place He deserves in our lives, refusing to give Him credit for the good things we enjoyed and experienced in life, that we became foolish and that our minds became darkened and our thoughts became futile. Okay, and that's really, really important right there. That is, <laughs> that's what the world calls normal. The Bible says it this way, the wisest thing that man 
will ever come up with is more foolish than the most foolish thing God has ever come up with. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, higher than the heavens are above the earth. He thinks on a much higher level. And we were created by God to think on that same level. But when Adam and Eve disconnected themselves, and by virtue of them disconnecting themselves from God, disconnected all of us from God, launched out on our own, trying to make our own way. Remember, God said, this is my way, don't eat of that tree. And they said, well, we think we'll do it our way and eat of it. The damage that was done was on every level of our existence, spirit, soul, and body. When we're born again, the spiritual damage, it's, it's not repaired. We were spiritually dead men and women there was a glorious funeral, right? Our, our old man was buried with Christ and we received a new man. Amen. So you didn't get a refurbished spirit, you got a new spirit. And then God's spirit became one with your born again spirit. But now we're in this part of our minds and our thinking, if you will, catching up with what's already happened in our born again spirit. And notice he says that if you'll commit your works to the Lord, your thoughts will be established. Let me just quickly, I'll close it up. Commit your works to the Lord. What does that mean? This word works in the Hebrews, in the Hebrew language, it's a word that has really broad meaning. I mean, it, it you know, the definition's that long. Um, it's, it's, it's extensive. Um, but to simplify it, it just simply means what you do. Um, one translation translates the word your efforts. I think we looked at that already, didn't we? Your efforts. So, it seems like the New Testament says to you and me that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. Right? Not for the pleasure or, or to please people, but to please God. So when he says, commit your works to the Lord, this, this again, do you see how we're giving God the place that he deserves in our lives? Where we don't just do whatever we want to do, however we want to do it, whenever we want to do it, but someone who is committing their works, their efforts to the Lord, they acknowledge him in all their ways. Seems like the Bible says something about that, right? Where before we do anything, we consult him. Come on now, before we, you know, we're, we're developing, remember how he brings in and your plans will succeed. See, your plans succeeding are in direct proportion to your consulting father before you made those plans. Are you, are you seeing this, right? So again, you, it doesn't say give God place, but, but it is certainly implied here because we're, we're allowing Him to direct our paths, giving Him that place in our lives, and this is when the plans succeed. The opposite, again, of committing your works to the Lord is where you just do your own thing. And um, that rate of success is not cutting it, amen? All right, so commit your ways to the Lord and your thoughts will be established.
It's amazing. And I, listen, I'm, I'm learning and growing in all this just like everybody in this room. Everybody listen to this tonight. But try it this week. When we talk about our thoughts, you know, let's go back to that thing in your life you want to see come to pass. And you try and ever, you know, your mind almost like working overtime, can't even hardly sleep at night trying to figure out how we're going to work this out, how we're going to pull this off, how we're going to make this happen. All of a sudden, listen, just take a really deep breath and relax. Roll it over to the Lord. Entrust it into His care. Picture that little boy with his model car on the playground, right? We're going to... If we keep on trying to, to do this ourselves, we're going to wind up crushing this thing. Well, let's, let's, let's trust it to the Lord. But how do we practically do that? We don't go making decisions without consulting Him. We don't go making plans without running it past Him. Are you following what I'm saying? See, this, this is... I know I've said it so many times, I'm going to say it again. There are so many people in the body of Christ today who are wanting God to do in their life something they have not given Him place to do. And, and me making my plans and asking God to bless it is not me committing my ways and my works to the Lord. Amen. Right? But if I will commit my works to Him, in other words, my efforts, Father, are going to be de- dedicated and devoted to You... Even if what I understand, listen, this is, the, this is the amazing thing. This is grace because God sees the heart. So I, I'm like giving it my very best effort to do what he wants me to do as best as I understand it in that moment. Now, because my atti- the attitude of my heart is to commit my work, what I do to him, he now comes in and helps me in my thinking. He... And it's, it's so seamless sometimes that we think, we're, and we're not careful, we'll start giving ourselves credit for it. Man, look how smart I was, figured that out. You ain't figured nothing out, right? <laughs> Lord showed you to do that, right? Amen. 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 All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Commit your works to Him. Commit your efforts to Him. Amen. You've heard me say this before, but most mornings, most mornings before my feet hit the floor, I remind myself, not that the Lord needs to be reminded, He knows this, but I say, to, I say these words to Him or some version of them. Father, I acknowledge You as my Creator Father. Amen. My life is not my own to do with as I please today. Right? Amen. My life is not my own to do with as I please today. See, that's a statement of commitment. That's a statement of giving Him place. He created me. He purchased me. He adopted me. And He birthed me. I've been born from above. Amen. He's the potter. I'm the clay. He is infinitely more to me than a potter, and I'm infinitely more to Him than a lump of clay. But that is where our relationship began. And if I ever lose sight of that, I'm in danger of missing his highest and best for my life. So I acknowledge him as the potter. I'm giving him place. He's calling the shots today. Amen. Are you seeing this? Amen. So I'm committing my works. Does that mean I get it right every time? No. But see, what's, even when I miss it, he's helping me in my thinking to see where I missed it. 
Because that's ultimately where we need to grow. The renewing of the mind. Father, you're good to us. We love you. Father, we commit our ways to you. We commit our works to you. We trust in you. We believe that you're bringing it to pass. Father, that you're bringing our thoughts and plans into agreement with your thoughts and plans. And Father, we're beginning to experience success, Lord, in ways and on levels that we have never experienced before. Father, we thank you that we are harvesters in a year of abundant harvest. We are harvesters in the first year of 20 years of harvest. And I thank you, Father, for teaching us how to harvest by faith. Lord, souls for your kingdom, the blessings and benefit of your covenant into our lives and into this family of faith. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I love you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus.